Welcome to the Together for Good podcast, a podcast specifically designed to inspire, challenge, and uplift you during your daily walk of faith. Today's is a special episode. We are bringing on Deacon Deborah Alba. Deborah is the newest member of the pastoral team here at Bethany Lutheran Church. Her call is to be a deacon here on the pastoral staff and to work with children's ministry and our outreach ministries. We're so excited to have her. And I wanted to bring her on the podcast so that all of you can get to know her a little bit. We have a great discussion about sense of call and discernment, as well as the role of the church needing to be in the community as well as in the pews. Deborah's got some great wisdom and just a, a delight to talk to as she shares her story with us. So I hope you enjoy this time. As also, as you start to understand, part of what we talk about is what is a deacon? And so she explains how that specific role and sense of call works with all this. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for your support of the podcast. But now a conversation with Deacon Deborah Alba. Hey everyone, welcome to the Together for Good podcast. I'm sitting in my office with Deacon Deborah Alba. Deborah, say hello. Hello, good morning. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, Deborah has been very faithfully listening to the podcast in prep to start here at Bethany, which I think was really brilliant. Thank you for listening. Of course. And now, Deborah, you get to be on an episode as we kind of introduce you to the congregation. I mean, you've been here for over a month or about a month about now. About a month now. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, why don't you just start? Tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're coming from. Yeah. All, right. all okay. these good things. All right. So I was actually born in Santa Fe, New Mexico and started the trek north to Colorado when I was just three. Dad used to work for Montgomery Ward in catalog sales. So every time dad had a promotion, we moved along. And so we lived in Lakewood for two years. Then we moved up to outside of Chicago, Bolingbrook. Wow, okay. For my elementary school years. And then we moved to Ellicott City, Maryland, outside of Baltimore for my middle school years. Wow. And then back to Colorado to Littleton, for one year of junior high, high school, and then I attended college in Boulder at the University oh of Colorado. And now, what you mentioned Ellicott City. Mm-hmm. Don't you have family still in Maryland? I do, area? my sister. So I have one sister, Leanne. Uh-huh. Leanne loved Maryland from our years mm-hmm. there, and she and her husband moved there in 96. And Leanne works for the National Archives, Director cool. of Education and Volunteers. And my brother-in-law, Steve, works for the Navy as a civilian with the test pilot school. He's an instructor. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, it sounds like, what was that like, though? Mm -hmm. Um, A childhood, a lot Mm -hmm. of times, kids just kind of are born and raised and grow up in one space, but you moved pretty much for every little section of school, it sounded like. Yeah. The most we lived anywhere during my growing up years was five years. Wow. So I always looked longingly at friends who had lived someplace for a long time. Yeah. And so as a child, I lamented the moves, even though I look back now with great fondness of the people I met, the places we saw. By the time I was 18, I had visited all 48 contiguous states by car. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Again, tells you a little bit about dad's work because yeah. a lot of our vacations it's... coincided with his travel with work. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Five years at most any place. Mm-hmm. So you're really great, as mm-hmm. we've already seen, mm-hmm. at stepping into a new place and a new system and finding your footing right away. I have much experience. <laughs> I do. I actually do. I have a lifetime. And I've always been the new kid. I've always been that new person. Mm-hmm. And so what I realized doing that as a child, I grew up 
observing people a lot because I didn't want to stand out. I wanted to Mm. observe how things were done in new settings. So I didn't do anything inappropriate or wrong or or call attention to myself. So I recognize now, looking back, I honed some really good observational skills. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, and I'm sure it develops its own sense of confidence too. It's funny when I was in um, second grade, Mm -hmm. I, my family moved. And when we moved to our new town, so I started school in one elementary school, moved to our new town, the elementary school it's supposed to go to was full. So they put me in a different school Mm -hmm. and then a spot opened up after a few months. So then I moved to the right school that I was supposed to be in. But I went to three different elementary schools in second grade. And I just feel like um, that that experience, while it was really hard, and I definitely, my mom still Mm -hmm. tells stories about how like sad and lonely I was (laughs) in all these transitions. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I developed a ton of confidence in that year. I'm just like knowing how to step in, right? Like, all right, I'm the new kid. I'm going to figure out, observe. Exactly. Find my people. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Find my people. Exactly. So, okay. So there's your like growing up, but Mm -hmm. then also, Mm -hmm. um, I know that you served in Mm -hmm. Peace Corps. I did. And was that Mm -hmm. right after college or give us a little more detail there? Actually, no. So after college, I graduated again from CU Boulder and my degree was in Spanish, Latin American studies with a business emphasis. And I thought for sure I was going to go into international business. That was the kind of the, the trajectory I was going. And my senior year of college, I had the opportunity to study abroad in South America, in Bogota, Colombia. Oh, neat. And it changed my complete perspective on the world um, and my understanding of perhaps an early understanding of call. I knew I was supposed to work with people, alongside people who um, had much less than I did. Mm. I was introduced to the writings of Henry Nowen during that time. And it absolutely changed my world, absolutely changed it. So I came back and I worked in Denver for Denver Social Services for three years as a case manager. And I paid off some college debt. I had a loan from grandma and I paid that off. (laughs) And I was still single and I applied to the Peace Corps and was accepted to serve in the Dominican Republic. Wow, Mm -hmm. so tell me, how does a study abroad program mm-hmm. in Bogota, mm-hmm. in the business realm, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was an urban studies program, but it came out of Hamline University, St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, yeah, my sister went there. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Love Hamline for this program alone. And it drew in a lot of students from the Midwest, from some of the liberal arts schools, St. Olaf, Grinnell, Augustana. Luther colleges I was wow. just vaguely familiar uh-huh. with, but one of my good friends was a student at Augustana, and he was the one who introduced me to Nowen. And it. today he is a Lutheran pastor with the ELCA. <laughs> Where is yes. he serving? He is. I want to say he's up in South Dakota. Okay, mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Okay, yeah, because that was where I was yeah. going. How do you? How does Henry Nowen figure in? <laughs> no. no. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and listeners, if you have not read any now, and he's Ooh. incredible and just so mm-hmm. thoughtful and humble and just a very good writer, too. I really recommend it. There's a lot of books. Do you have a favorite? I do. This is particular one. It was a journal he wrote in the early 80s, oh. and it's called Gracias, a Latin American Journal. Oh. And in this, in this journal, in this book, he was discerning whether God was calling him to live and work in Latin America. And it was a question I was beginning to ask myself. Yeah. And so he spent six months in Bolivia and Peru. He had come from Yale and yeah. he was doing this intensive study and living there. 
And at the same time, I was asking that question of myself, what am I going to do after college? Am I going to be in Latin America? What does this look like? I discerned the answer was yes. Now I discerned the answer was no. Huh. So when I came back from college, like I said, worked and then joined the Peace Corps. Very good. Mm-hmm. And so two, did you do two years? Two in and a half years. Mm-hmm. Two and a half years yes. in the Dominican Republic? Yes. And um, what was that? What was your, because you always have like, they always have like the strangest roles. Right, right. right. Yeah. So my title when I started, so it was very vague, community education promoter. That was the group. Hmm. I was in an education group. And there were 35 of us in my group. And we were all sent out to different sites for our two-year stint. And I was sent to work for a nonprofit in um, the second largest city at the time in the country, La Romana. And I was sent to work with an orphanage. This nonprofit was adopting different schools in the area to, and again, this nonprofit was a group of Americans that had come to the Dominican Republic Mm -hmm. from New York to adopt the school system, to show the Dominican teachers how they could work with primary education. Oh, wow. So I was assigned to work at an orphanage because of my work in Denver with the social services, they wanted a social worker at the orphanage. Mm. So for the first three months, I lived at the orphanage. I worked alongside the teachers. I observed and learned what they were doing and then quickly recognized it wasn't a good site for a Peace Corps volunteer. Mm. The first Christmas, they had a big celebration with their, um, oh, the word in Spanish is padrino or like the godfather of the orphanage and the Dominican godfather of this orphanage was the international designer Oscar de la Renta, okay. who is Dominican, uh-huh. and this was his orphanage. Uh-huh. And I couldn't help but notice the extreme, perhaps juxtaposition with him being the, the godfather. godfather of the orphanage and the um, very poor state of the orphanage, and that they had hired on a Peace Corps volunteer basically for free to work at the orphanage. There was a real oh, disconnect. Yeah. And I thought, this doesn't seem like the right place for me. Yeah. And so after that, I did some um, discernment. I visited with my director and said, I just don't think this is the right placement. No I had much more of that idealistic vision of Peace Corps, like many people have, sure, perhaps sure. from the 60s. And a good friend of mine, also in the Peace Corps, helped me visit a couple other communities. He's like, let's get on my motorcycle. Let's visit these sites. We visited a couple rural sites. And then the last one, he said, I think you're really going to like this. We took the motorcycle to the edge of the river. We took the canoe across the river to the fishing village. And he introduced me to the community of Boca de Chavon, which is the mouth of the Chavon River. Wow. And that's where I spent the next 18 months. Were you still doing educational work? Education and working with the one-room schoolhouse, introducing them to what is a PTA, what is a PTA, parent-teacher association, what do you do, what does it mean to be a president, a vice president, a treasurer, how do we fundraise, how do we paint the school, how do we get books, how do we get desks, how do we get supplies, and so really ground-level grassroots. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's neat. I mean, mm-hmm. hearing you describe all mm-hmm. of that, um, all of that work that you're doing in mm-hmm. this rural one-room schoolhouse in the Dominican Republic. Yeah. And then most recently, mm-hmm. you were uh, the director of a Lutheran school and yes. preschool. Absolutely. Like the, yes. There's the, all, all these connections. No Absolutely. kidding. Absolutely. Yes, yes. My sister would always say, Debbie, your path has never been linear. And I'm like, absolutely right, (laughs) because God's spirit is not linear, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so everything we've ever done has connections. We may not see it at the time, right? And so, yes, the last five years, I've been directing Cross of Hope School 
in Albuquerque, New Mexico, mm -hmm. which is an ELCA pre elementary school. We also have a preschool. So for two years during COVID, I led the preschool while we were looking God for a new you. director. <laughs> I learned a lot. Yes, I learned okay. a lot. Oh my goodness. As all, yeah, yeah. Uh, prayers yeah. for all preschool teachers uh, mm -hmm. who had to endure that time. My sense. goodness. Mm -hmm. Well, I love what you said there, though. I want, mm -hmm. I want to pick up on this little thread. Uh, that your sister says your path's never mm -hmm. been linear and like you're mm -hmm. well well stated that mm -hmm. the spirit of god is never linear either mm -hmm. and, and i really love that idea too the way i talk about it is that we can always see how god's working but it almost is always in retrospect like in the midst Absolutely. of the moment what is going on like how is it right. that i ended up here but right. then when you look back you start to trace the piece like Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Exactly. I was working at this rural school in the Dominican Republic for Peace Corps. And now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. The connections are always there. That's always. so neat. Yeah. So, well, yeah. and on that topic, mm -hmm. now this is your first call as a deacon in the ELCA. Yes. And yet you have worked not just at that Lutheran, mm -hmm. um, as the director of the Lutheran school, but you worked mm -hmm. at a Methodist church as well, correct? Exactly. Yes. Um, on mm -hmm. the church staff. Tell us a little bit mm -hmm. about that time mm -hmm. in your life. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to go back a little bit because Please. part of my story in the Dominican Republic, very important, is where I met my husband, of course. Antonio. Antonio. Antonio is from the Dominican Republic. Mm -hmm. He worked for the American nonprofit that I was assigned to work for. He, at the time, was directing their computer system. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yes. And that's how we Continues met. Continues to work yes, with computers exactly. today. Yes. So this November 27th, we'll celebrate 30 years of marriage. Oh, my gosh. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And um, we have two daughters, Caroline and Lydia. Caroline is um, a graduate of Colorado College. She is now up in Iowa, studying at Iowa State in interior design, a master's in interior design. And she's engaged to get married January 10th. Mm -hmm. She met her fiance, who is a Luther graduate in the Dominican Republic while they were both studying their senior year of college. Wow. Yeah. That's... Good connection, right? <laughs> and the, just the like, Luther what a small, world. I know, what again, a small world. Connections. And he's from Northern California. So they're getting married January. Youngest daughter, Lydia, mm -hmm. just graduated from University of Denver in psychology. She's taking a gap year, living in Ames, Iowa, close to her sister. Mm -hmm. And now she's working for a neuroscience organization with individuals who have suffered severe brain trauma. Oh, wow. And learning a lot and discerning if she's going to continue in the field of psychology for graduate work. Very cool. Yes. Good yeah. for them. Will yeah. we get to meet them anytime? Yes. Uh, Caroline and Ozzy are coming in tomorrow night. Excellent. They're going to be spending Thanksgiving. They'll be here for the installation on Sunday. And unfortunately, Lydia, because of the new job, will not be able to oh, come, but she'll be out at Christmas. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. so then, your, but your family, your girls, mm -hmm. primarily grew up in Ohio. Ohio. So that's the connect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we moved to Ohio um, in the late 90s. And I was working at Ohio State University. Mm -hmm. I was working in the Spanish and Portuguese department. And became pregnant with Caroline that lasted for about a year doing both. And I was having so much more fun with Caroline than I was with stodgy professors sure. and made the decision to stay home full time. Huh. We lived, we decided to live off one income, sold one car, really minimalized. Wow. Um, but the intent for me during that whole time was I can't not be working. I can't imagine what that would be like, but I got very involved in our local Methodist church that we had been attending. And when I say involved, I was very active in our um, outreach and mission work. Okay. And our church led missions to northern Mexico, medical missions, and I helped as an interpreter and had uh, amazing experiences doing that. And then I had the opportunity to lead our mission team 
and led mission trips to southern Ohio in the Appalachian area, yeah. mm -hmm. and then um, led two trips to the Dominican Republic um, for mission trips oh where we did vacation Bible schools and did some building in the Dominican Republic. Love that. And so that whole time I was active and and again, this was all volunteer. In, all volunteer, yeah. um, but again, making sure I was still, you know, I just, again, couldn't imagine what is a real stay-at-home mom. I don't think there is such a thing. I think any mom would tell you that. There yeah. is never, there is not such a thing. Um, so I kept busy doing that. And then I was introduced to what's called an Emmaus walk. It's in a four-day kind of spiritual retreat mm. through the Methodist church. It has history with the Catholic church, and it's still very prominent in the Methodist world. And it's four days away from everything. No phone, no watch, no nothing. And you are introduced to a group of different speakers talking about their spiritual walk and experiences. And there's singing, and there's music, and lots of time for prayer and praise and gathering and eating together. And after that four-day weekend, I felt uh, absolutely that God was calling me into ministry. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't discern it. I couldn't figure out what that meant, mm -hmm. but it was very, very, very clear to me. And following that weekend, I met with our senior pastor and he said, Deborah, you've been popping up in my prayer life. He goes, I see you in a role as an intern, a pastoral intern. Mm. Our, our, our assistant pastor is retiring in December. And what would you think of starting in January for six months as a pastoral intern? Wow. And I was like, oh, oh, okay, okay. And this came right after. Right after this weekend. Unbelievable. It was in October. Yeah. Yeah. And so that January, without any seminary background, I started as a pastoral intern. Yeah. And started visiting folks in the hospital, in the psych ward, leading adult Bible study, and watching and discerning all things pastoral and discerning this call, deacon or elder or pastor, mm -hmm. which was God calling me to. I had been living the life in outreach and mission. That was who I was. Mm -hmm. And so when I learned about the deacon call to word and service, I'm like, oh, there's a name for what I've already been doing. Yeah, yeah. Right? I'm like, this makes absolute sense. So it was the next fall is when I started seminary full time, again, with young girls. Antonio yeah. traveled a lot internationally. Uh -huh. So I did that for one year. And then the second year, I went to part-time seminary, part-time working at the church, Smart. just a little bit more balance. And mm -hmm. I've always said, the ideal deacon role has one foot in the church and one foot in the community. And do you know, in the Methodist church, mm -hmm. do they make like a similar distinction as we do in the Lutheran church for a role of a deacon? Mm -hmm. it's, it's also still that Absolutely. kind of... Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So the deacons in the Methodist church have been ordained since 1996. Uh -huh. So a little bit longer than the Lutherans, which I think is in the last five years. Yes, and very recent. Yeah, much more recent, much more recent. So I was pursuing that call. I entered the call process in the Methodist tradition. Mm -hmm. In Ohio, we moved to New Mexico, um, 2010, to be closer to my parents. Mm. Mom was showing early signs of dementia, Alzheimer's, okay. and wanted to be closer. And we felt God was calling us to New Mexico, mm -hmm. so we made that big move. And I continued my studies virtually um, through Island Seminary, oh, no mm -hmm. wow. and was commissioned a deacon in the United Methodist Church. And the Methodist Church has a I, I refer to it kind of as a residency. All pastors and deacons have a residency of three years. Mm -hmm. right? So they're commissioned, pastors and deacons both commissioned, and then after three years, they're ordained. Okay. And so after one year serving as a commissioned deacon, I made a very difficult decision to step out of the process. Okay. And that was just due to some very unhealthy um, experiences I had with mm -hmm. the particular conference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I was not a good fit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so within all this then, I mean, I think it's the question you probably are getting all the time here at Bethany mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. is what is a deacon? And <laughs> you already kind of been touching on yeah. this. Yeah. And exactly. so it's this real sense of, um, you know, very much like a, a called role within the church, mm-hmm. one foot in the world, one foot in the congregation. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about just um, mm-hmm. how you understand that and, and also mm-hmm. I mean, what you're excited for, yeah. what that could look like here at Bethany. Yeah. So during my whole process of discernment, both in the Methodist Church and the Lutheran Church, I have been asked many times, are you sure God is not calling you to become a pastor? Uh-huh. And I said, I'm absolutely positive. <laughs> and the response I've often received is, well, you have the administrative skills. And I said, yes, I do. Yes. But that isn't the call mm-hmm. right and that's been a really it's been interesting because i've really been encouraged to consider pastoral and i think oftentimes it's for lack of understanding of the deacon call right and and what i wanted to share and i've shared with you and pastor gary already is mm-hmm. it's very clear to me that the two of you are very clear on the distinction between the two roles mm-hmm. and when you were hiring you were specifically looking for a deacon correct other places that i interviewed with were looking for a pastor and or deacon which told me they were not as clear on the call. Right. Right. So the deacon is ordained to word and service. So proclamation, preaching, mm-hmm. teaching, outreach, all of those things. And the pastor to word and sacraments, baptism, communion, administration of the church, and all those other things. Yep. Right. So there's a, it's a very fine line, mm-hmm. um, which is, again, but again, once you feel a sense of call, and you know who you are and the mm-hmm. gifts you've been given, it becomes very clear. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like, I mean, it just makes so much sense as we hear your story, mm-hmm. you know, going back to, to that theme of it's not always a straight path, but mm-hmm. it's very clear, like, this is where you've always been called to be, oh. of, mm-hmm. um, you know, starting with that trip to Bogota mm-hmm. and encountering Henry Nowen and having to go through this discernment of, like, am I supposed to do work in South America or not, right? Yeah. Like, it's this calling out type of thing, working in the Peace Corps, or volunteering, forgive me, mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. Peace Corps mm-hmm. for two years, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and doing that type of, you know, like, service work. Well, and this, as you said, too, you yeah. also, you were a social worker mm-hmm. right. here in Denver mm-hmm. for a little while mm-hmm. as well. So I'm seeing mm-hmm. all these ways that you have continually been thrust into situations where you are um, out there in the world, caring for the people who are mm-hmm. in need. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that seems to be a repetitive theme within your life. It does. And and I think what's kind of important to know in my call story too is I grew up in the Lutheran church, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. My grandmother, good Norwegian. I mean, we've grown up and so I, I was very, very familiar with the theology of the Lutheran church and some of the traditions and culture. One of the pieces that perhaps got me out of the pews was I would often sit in church because I was in church every Sunday. Mom was in the choir for a good 55 years. <laughs> so every Sunday, every service, we were there. Uh-huh. And I would often sit in the pews and I would see some, um, perhaps some inconsistencies with individuals. And I was always wondering, why aren't they in the community doing what they say we should be doing? Yeah. Right. Especially as a young person, yeah, as a teenager. Yeah. I was I was always seeing these things going, I don't know, I see a disconnect. I wonder, you know, what what would happen if they got up and out into the community and started serving and seeing um, the real needs. And especially when I came back from Latin America, I was just on fire for that. I wanted people up and out of the pews into the community mm-hmm. after they heard the word, not out of ob- obligation, but out of joy. Yeah. For service, right? Yeah. Because we have been given so much. 
it's our joy to serve. serve. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. exactly. I love that. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. The other piece that I'm hearing in all of your talking to is a continual theme of discernment. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, I, that's not a given for a lot of people, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think that that's not often how people approach things. But it seems like you have a real strong connection and understanding of like trying to discern God's will, be guided by God. Mm -hmm. um, can you t can you talk any about that? Just how that role of discernment has been important to you? It it has, and what I would always share with my girls, I started a um, devotional process. Gosh, it's been a good twenty five years now because I didn't grow up with a model of that. And I was missing something in my spiritual life. And I like, I need to go deeper. I need to have that time with God that's so intentional. So I started an early morning devotional process. And I joked that my youngest daughter, Lydia, would keep getting up earlier and earlier so she could sit beside me on the couch when I was having my devotional time. And she remembers that very vividly. I think it was our quiet time together. That's but nice. it's always been that early morning, that 5.30, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock time, depending on the summer, where I would have different resources, the Bible, and just discernment. Sometimes things would come to me and sometimes absolutely nothing. Yeah. But again, it's the... Just keep showing it's up. Keep showing up. And yeah. that's what I would say to my girls. I would say, I can't do what I do on my own. Mm -hmm. Every single morning, mm -hmm. I ask for forgiveness and I ask for guidance. Mm. Every single morning. I love that. Right? Because yeah. it it's nothing I can do on my own. Mm -hmm. It never has been. And I've recognized that. And I would often tell my girls when they were getting ready for a big presentation or something, I'm like, make sure you lift it up to God, pray about it. I said, otherwise, you're probably just going to fall fat on your plate, <laughs> fat, on your, fat on your face. And they would just, mom, I'm like, no, 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 really. <laughs> lift it up, lift it up. I love yeah. that. Yeah. That, that's, that's, well, <laughs> what, what, the other piece that I'm noticing here, too, clearly, um, your as we talk about vocation being multifaceted, mm -hmm. you care very deeply about your vocation as a mother. Oh, absolutely. You've kind of mentioned this a number of times throughout absolutely. all of this. Yeah. And it's neat, too, to see uh, how you, just hearing you talk about that role that you've played in your life, mm -hmm. but then also recognizing, like, your consistent work with young people and children, right? Mm -hmm. The, the mm -hmm. work in the Peace Corps, and then most recently at Cross of Hope. And that's a big part of your sense of call here at Bethany, too, is working yeah. with our children's ministry in those Absolutely. ways. Just, just talk a little bit about your, your joy and passion Absolutely. there, too. Absolutely. So during the five years I was directing Cross of Hope School, I would find myself, you know, you're, you become just overwhelmed sometimes with the administrative responsibilities of running a school. And when I would reach those moments, I'm like, you know, I'm just going to take a break and go visit the classroom. And I <laughs> kindergarten, sweet spot, preschool. Oh, my goodness. If you really wanted some love, you go to the preschool yeah, classrooms. Yeah. And it was such a joy to get to know the children. Um, and I could almost cry this morning talking about it. That was the hardest piece for me to leave in coming here were those relationships that I developed over the years. I, yeah. I say now when I go back to Cross of Hope, I have a fan club. And that's, oh, my gosh, to just... It, there's nothing like it when a yeah. group of you know second third graders start screaming your name it's you're just oh my gosh but they just brought so much joy to me and it reminded me why i was doing the work i was doing and why i was working so hard with the families with the mm -hmm. parents to help mm -hmm. them during difficult times with the teachers um, it was just all-encompassing. So here, when I had the opportunity to um, do a children's sermon a couple of weeks ago, right. I was so excited because I got to be with the kids. And I, I love that so much. And I'm excited yeah. for uh, many, many more opportunities for you mm -hmm. in that front, too, because it it's clear it's a real gift of yours and a real passion of yours. And I feel like that's what it really comes down to, too, is like the kids can understand 
when this is something that you really care about and that you want to be with them, yeah. they and pick they, up on that right they away. They do. They know yeah. when it's genuine. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, Deborah, mm -hmm. you've, you've answered all of my questions. Well done. Thank you. Uh, thank you. <laughs> anything you'd like to add or, or let oh, our, our audience know? Um, just, I'm so excited to be here at Bethany. Yeah. I truly am. I've said this several times. I have felt such a generous spirit at Bethany. I've known about Bethany for many years. I had family members who attended here many years ago and recently, and I now get to experience it firsthand, and it's real, it's palpable. The, mm. the energy that's mm -hmm. here, the excitement, the drive to be more giving and more generous is here, and, mm -hmm. I, and I'm just delighted to be here and be a part of it. We're, we're delighted to have you, so excited for the ministry. I, I'm, I'm really excited to be working with you and the yeah. ministry that we're going to accomplish together and all the great ways you'll continue to push us um, in this call as deacon. Because mm -hmm. um, as you picked up, it's something that's very intentional, that we wanted someone who can further help us get into the world, get out serving our neighbors in those ways. So, so excited uh, for the gifts that you bring and the passion that you bring. Glad to have you and Antonio here. Uh, he's he's around here somewhere. He this is. Morning too. He's, he's working on site. He <laughs> is. He actually is. Thank you so much. And thank you, you, dear listener, thank you for listening. Please um, let um, let Deacon Deborah know that you listened to her podcast and that you enjoyed <laughs> it. Give her some great affirmation. As always, stay in peace, everyone.